Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, February 8th. We begin with a look at the reopening of restaurants in our city as we have entered the Step 1 phase of the provincial guidelines to ease restrictions. We get an update on what local restaurant owners think of the easement from Global News reporter Sarah Offit. Next, we head overseas for a COVID-19 update from the UK. We speak with UK broadcaster and business owner Kenny James for the latest on the restrictions, the impact of the COVID variants in that country, and their ambitious vaccine rollout. Then we look at the challenges those struggling with addiction issues face amid the pandemic. We dive into the details as part of a new health series in conjunction with Global News. And finally, it's a good news story at a time when we've seen historic high numbers in the vacancy rates of office space in our downtown. We hear the story of a Vancouver-based tech company making the move to Calgary. 8.43 now, and today is the day restaurants across the province have been waiting for as Alberta enters step one of the province's reopening plan. Global News reporter Sarah Offen joins us now with more on how some businesses are preparing to reopen their doors, and it is time for us to do that. Good morning to you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. What a day to have a nice warm meal. (laughs) You're not kidding. But, you know, I know a lot of people, obviously those who like to go out for meals, waiting for this day, but more so the restaurants and all the people they employ really have been waiting for this, haven't they? Absolutely. And, you know, we were outside Red Steiner in Kensington this morning and right at 7 a.m., right as as soon as they opened up, uh, they had uh, their their tables pretty much full. So that was nice to see. You know, certainly people want to to support these restaurants. They've had a tough go. The last month and a half, they have been operating on a, a takeout only model and a lot of us telling a lot of them telling us that that was unsustainable, that, you know, that they were at a breaking point. And then, of course, uh, all of their staff was temporarily laid off as well. So a big day for them as they welcome back uh, part of their staff, a lot of them sort of gradually uh, rehiring and uh, and welcoming customers back to, to sit in their restaurants for the first time uh, for a long time. I mean, all of this coming with some unease for them. We spoke with Eggs Oasis uh, over the weekend as they were restocking their shelves and preparing to welcome back customers. And they were really just saying, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly what this is going to look like. I mean, we know what it looks like. It looks like, you know, the 50% capacity. It's going to look very similar uh, that it did before this closure, but what it looks like going forward in terms of these variants, whether whether there could be additional restrictions um, coming up in the future, additional closures coming up in the future, that's all a little bit scary still. So I think that there's still uh, quite a bit of unease and quite a bit of uh, uncertainty for them. And really just, they are just hoping that people feel safe enough that they will uh, be able to go to these restaurants and, uh, and support them as well. Yeah, and Sarah, as you mentioned, you know, with all the different restrictions being eased today, the restaurants seem the most clear because it takes us back to where we were before with six people from the same household maximum at a table with the restriction on hours and liquor sale uh, sales. Uh, but this could also change in 20 days. At the end of February, we could be eligible to move into step two. and That might afford some extra easing. Yeah, exactly. And so that would be a big boost. I mean, I think that everybody is, is just closely watching and waiting to see exactly what our numbers are going to do. And I think right now, uh, specifically what these new variants are going to do, that's the big unknown right now. We talked to an infectious disease specialist and they were talking about, you know, just even the reopening of, of, of gyms and fitness, uh, sort of a surprise over the weekend that uh, now youth uh, 18 and under can now mm-hmm. practice uh their sports again together. So exciting news for them. And, and uh, the, the specialist saying, 
you know, it can be done safely. We've seen it done safely elsewhere as well. In, in BC, they have a similar model that's set up. But uh, but these these variants are oh, and um, that's really going to, I think, dictate how things look going forward. Well, I think a lot of people are excited about today for so many reasons. Thanks so much for the update. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That is Global News reporter Sarah Offen. And yes, so restaurants and bars, limited openings. Recreational facilities, limited openings. Indoor, outdoor activities. Now, we do know indoor gatherings still banned right now. Mm-hmm. Outdoor gatherings, you can have a maximum of 10. Well, and to that point, things could change a little further in less than three weeks on February 28th mm-hmm. if hospitalizations remain 450 or fewer. That's a per day thing, and then it has to be over a consistent basis. So I don't think it would be that we'd see step two on the 28th, uh, but hoping for an announcement on the 28th if we can keep the numbers down uh, by that point. 609 on the morning news uh, with news that the numbers of variant cases of COVID-19 are on the rise in the UK. We thought it would be a good time to catch up with Kenny James. Kenny is, of course, a UK broadcaster and a business owner. Good morning to you, Kenny. Morning, Andrew. I'm wondering, uh, Kenny, well, we're going to get to, you know, breaking down uh, some of the restrictions and how businesses are holding up in a second. But with news that the variant, you know, is having some strength in the UK, I'm wondering how much of a concern are these variant cases uh, across the region? Prime Minister Johnson was talking yesterday about the actually, and, and that um, all of the vaccines we have so far seem to be working uh, with the original kind of strain over here, but also with the, the variants that have come through, the Brazilian variant, uh, and the Kent one, which is in the south of the UK, which is it's the prevalent one over here at the moment. But all of the vaccines so far seem to be working fairly well, uh, covering across all of the different strains. That's great news. And in terms of the vaccine, Kenny, there's been a, a good rollout plan, hasn't there? I mean, there, I, I, the numbers that have been vaccinated already, fantastic. Well, yeah, so far, too, uh, in excess of 12 million people vaccinated. It was announced yesterday. That's those that have had the first dose. Um, the government said they're well on target to hit 15 million by the middle of this month. Uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson's previously come under a fair amount of criticism, really, over the amount of COVID deaths we've had here in the UK. But he's been winning back some fans with the vaccine rollout rates. Give us some sort of an idea, because we're well, well behind that here in Canada. Uh, but as far as that process and, and access to vaccines, are you still going through a protocol of most vulnerable and the elderly? Or is it a case now that anybody can, can sign up? And what does that process look like? Do you go to a pharmacy or is it set up at a hospital? Well, the, the elderly and the, the vulnerable, as you know, Andrew, were, were first in line here. So people in care homes and people over 80 years of age and the people that were, were clinically uh, more it was more dangerous if they caught it. So they're the first people that, <clears throat> that were vaccinated. And it's now coming down in, in age bands. Uh, and also we're vaccinating people who work in, in, in essential services. So we're vaccinating um, uh, doctors, nurses, um, teachers, because obviously some of the schools are open. Uh, they're still teaching uh, the children of, of essential workers. That type of thing. So we're targeting them, but it, it's, it's gradually coming down in the UK. So it'll be 60 years and, and over, uh, coming in the next four to six weeks, I think. Uh, and then they're hoping to be able to have offered it to everybody in the UK by May. Wow. Uh, Kenny, in the, in the US, they're, you know, they've opened up a lot of uh, arenas, et cetera, sporting arenas where they can do a mass vaccination. Is that what's happening there too? Or is it you know, just a lot of smaller sites? Or how does it w- work there? It's a mix of, of, of various things. So and what happens is, is you, you'll get invited. What they're saying is don't approach this unless you're unwell. And if you're unwell, of course, go to, to uh, an emergency centre. Um, but you, you'll be approached and you'll be, 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 be uh, either texted or called or written to saying, 
come in. Uh, there are small centres in all local towns and villages and cities. And now some of the, as you say, the biggest sports arenas are open where you can literally get thousands of people through in a day. And that's happening. That's growing on a daily basis. Kenny, can you give us uh, some update on the restrictions, the current restrictions? Where are they and how long are they, you know, uh, uh, how long are you being told they're going to be in place for? Well, I think business is still closed over here in, in most cases. We're still confused, really, as to what might happen when things start to ease over here. Uh, the high street's been taking a battering, as you'd expect, and there's a serious fear that many millions of people will end up being out of work permanently when the government's furlough financial scheme ends. Uh, definitely the only things that are open are, are food stores, pharmacies, things of that nature. Everything else still remains closed. Uh, I noticed <clears throat> that uh, over the weekend that something might be happening over there where you may be opening bars and restaurants in, 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 in your part of the world. Um, we had a similar thing over here whereby you could go out to eat uh, only inside a bubble, as we call it over here, of, of up to six people. Um, and the restaurants had to be 10 p.m. Uh, and they closed by 11 p.m. Um, and <clears throat> being in that business, I tell you, it, it's, a, it's a real hit-you-hard business-wise. But, uh, but at least it gets, gives people the option to come back out again. But so far here, there's no rule, uh, no warning or no real guidelines to when things may be, may be able to reopen. And in the third quarter of last year, we had a record number of redundancies reported in the UK. And uh, that's why they're being seen as just the start, really. So, Kenny, sorry, you said the, the, the pubs and that, they were open at one point, but right now nothing is open for you to dine in, correct? Yes, yeah, we had a lockdown in November here. We were closed in November. Yeah. Uh, and in December, we had an option, which I think is similar to what's going to happen in your part of the mm-hmm. world, whereby you can open with certain restrictions. But no, we're, we're fully locked down over here. I saw something on social media, in fact, on one of your social media pages, and I was wondering if it was satire. Uh, that said the rumor is in the next couple months, pubs may be allowed to open, uh, but with no liquor sales. What? Does, uh, how would that work, or was that completely satirical? <laughs> Uh, well, all the stuff we've been getting so far over here, I mean, it's sort of been uh, what we're looking at as leaks from various departmental government meetings. And that was one of the things that's come out of it. So it was met, with, mixed, met really with a mix of, of uh, hilarity and anger um, <laughs> that they may reopen pubs but without any alcohol sales whatsoever. <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense no. to me. And are, are you, uh, because you're a business owner, are you uh, uh, congregating and talking to a lot of the business owners? Because I know over here we had uh, some rogue restaurants, for example, outside the city, just, you know, saying, well, we're going to open anyway because the fines, taking a hit with the fine is more important to us than losing money and, uh, you know, maybe closing our doors permanently. Are you seeing any defiance? Not yet. They've been very strict over here, and, and, and we get visits anyway, even though we're closed, we're still getting visits from local council people and, and, and the police from the drive past and just saying hello to make sure we're okay. Uh, I noticed in Italy at the weekend, there's in this big, uh, big tide of it changing, Italy, where all bars and restaurants got together and reopened en masse. Um, I don't see any sign of that over here yet, but one never knows. Kenny, what's it like in terms of travel? Are people allowed to go in and out of the UK right now? No, we've become very strict soon over here. Um, post the, uh, the, uh, the rise of the, the Brazilian virus, we've closed right down and, and at, the, at the airport now when you're trying to fly out, you're being stopped and question was, do you really need to go? Is it an essential journey? If not, they're sending you back home. Kenny, we, uh, as always, appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Cheers, Pat. Thank you. That is Kenny James, a UK broadcaster and a business owner. And, you know, you're hearing something that, you know, really makes me think, 12 million people vaccinated and still under these restrictions. And that's what we've, we've heard time and time yeah. as we get deeper into the pandemic, that just because people are vaccinated, 
doesn't mean we're going to whole hog open things up. And you're really seeing that, I, I think, in the UK. But wouldn't it be nice if we could get vaccinated real quick, just like that? Maybe we open up some sports arenas, get people rolling through and get that shot in the arm. Come on, we need to get these vaccinations going in this country. 709, and even those with the strongest resolve have felt the impact of the pandemic on their mental health. But what about those struggling with addiction? Those trying to pull themselves through when the world locked down? Shay Ganim walks us through the hurdles addicts have had to leap over to get the help they need when it feels as though there's nowhere to turn. It was very, I had very dark days, lonely days. I was not doing good at all. Tavia Wheeler has battled with addiction for much of her life, a 17-year struggle by the time the pandemic hit, and she found herself at rock bottom. I was left at the place where I was had nowhere to turn. I was homeless. I had, uh, when I left my home, I couldn't go back. I had a rough time getting into uh, detox because I couldn't make it there. Uh, I had my bag stolen and just Satan was working against me. The supports and programs and most importantly the community addicts rely upon for recovery were suddenly much harder to access. People found themselves in a situation every recovery program warns against. Going it alone. One of the biggest challenges is that Folks are experiencing major disruptions in the kinds of services that they can access. So, for example, people who are in early recovery or even in long-term recovery may have been depending on uh, mutual support organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous. And, And those organizations really provide support via fellowship in person and obviously are no longer available in the same way during the pandemic. James McKillop is an addiction specialist. He says 12-step groups and more traditional forms of therapy have done their best to be there virtually. But there's no doubt for many people the pandemic made a hard life that much harder as basic survival took precedence. Being out of the community with nowhere to go, the pandemic was tough because, I mean, being able to get a mask alone was a difficult situation. There's been a silver lining to COVID-19 and the effect it's had on those looking to turn their lives around, something that no one saw coming. There's a group of people who are showing higher resilience also, and that's been very heartening to see people who are reporting, um, finding new ways to cope, new strategies, and uh, some of the restrictions actually perhaps reducing some of the triggers they're exposed to. That's John Arthur's story. I spent the last 10 years just in the fog. I got depressed and like I could make I could make enough money to to get by and and, and pay my bills, but I was I was going nowhere and falling farther and farther away from my family. But when the world stopped, the fog lifted. As the world fell out of the the swing of things, this new opportunity presented itself for me, and I saw it and I jumped at it and I said, "Okay, time to make a change. No better time than now." He didn't have to worry about holding down a job. He had funding for treatment. And now, nine months into his recovery at Hope Mission's breakout program, his life has changed for the better. Everything just keeps falling in place. And now uh, I'm coming to the close of my my term and uh, feeling so much better for myself. I've been able to 
going to get back on terms with my family, talk to my kids, pay my bills. Tavia has also seen her life change. She spent 21 days in detox before making her way to the Wellspring program at Hope Mission, where she soon found herself on the road to recovery. It's given me hope again. Um, I've been able to find some laughter. I'm a con contributing part to a community here at Wellspring for Hope Mission. Uh, I love myself again. For the 2021 Health Series, I'm Shay Ganim. With leading results, no wait list, and no financial barriers, Calgary Counseling Center helps you develop the skills you need to thrive. Yeah, the Calgary Counseling Center, we uh, mentioned that earlier, and I think it's super important to know that there are areas. We, we spoke earlier about that one stat, which is incredible, mm -hmm. that the you know rate of suicide is down and was down in 2020. And quite dramatically. And, uh, yeah, normally it would be over 600 over a four-year period. And it's in that mid-400 range. So Here in Alberta, I think, yeah. I think people are reaching out, and I think that it's super important that when it's so dark, you, you might think that there isn't help out there, but there are plenty of resources. And worth noting, we're going to continue our conversation on the topic of mental health over the next couple of weeks, Sue. Uh, yeah, and all the various things that, you know, addiction is just one side of it, but there are so many different facets to look at. So three times a week over the next three weeks, we will be running features like this that are digging a little mm -hmm. deeper and, and explaining to you. Maybe you know about this. Maybe this is, you know, something that you see in your, your everyday life, but certainly, you know, the addiction side of it, um, I know right at the beginning of the pandemic, we talked to a friend of ours who he was in the uh, Narcotics Anonymous yeah. program. And with it all going online, at least they had a place to go to gather to talk to people. But, you know, there are a lot of people who don't who don't like to do it that way. So it was tough at the start of not being able to do the in-person meetings, right? Don't like to, or perhaps you didn't have the means to even have an internet connection uh, to figure this out. So some people may have at the very beginning particularly got lost in the shuffle. When you're used to going every week, to your meeting mm -hmm. and, and even that uh, even though like they maybe they become friends but maybe those are the only outside contacts you have maybe even before the you know pandemic you were looking forward to seeing these people yep. for that support so it is good to know but i think the correct avenues are, are something that perhaps need to be very much uh, clear for people uh, let's uh, let's talk about this uh, reopening because it seems like weeks ago we talked about circling the calendar for february 8th and you were counting down the days the hours and the minutes weren't you? I was. I was counting down for which what it was supposed to be. Was it the 28th? It was supposed to be the 28th or the 21st originally when we were going to be told. And we they pushed that back. Mm -hmm. But then it was revealed that we'd have a, a four-step process. That four-step process starts with step one. And that meant having hospitalizations on a consistent basis under 600. And that's exactly what we've had. And uh, so today we'll start to see some of those restrictions being eased. So the good, good news, yeah, is that, you know, restaurants and bars, I think this is the one that everybody wanted to, not not just for our own selfish reasons do we want to go out to these places, but to get these restaurant and bar owners and the people who work there back to work, right? So mm -hmm. restaurants, pubs, bars, lounges, cafes will be able to open for in-person service as long as there's not more than six people at a table. Individuals have to be from the same household, or if you live alone, you can have two close contacts within your bubble. Now, you do have to uh, know that the booze gets cut off at 10 yep. and then dining closes at 11, but at least we can get them open again. This is the same as the last uh, restriction that we had on in person dining. So that's a little easier to understand, but the recreation facilities, this is a little bit different. Indoor fitness centers will be open. However, no sports, uh, no games, no competitions, 
uh, team practice indoors. I think that that's something that has to still be on hold to league play or group exercise at all within these fitness facilities, if you will. Only one-on-one training will be permitted. That is, uh, you know, uh, uh, fitness in dance studios, uh, training, uh, skating on ice, and one-on-one workout sessions, and they have to be scheduled by appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no drop-in or groups uh, allowed. The sketchy part was when it comes to minor sport, those teams are allowed to practice. Yeah, it, it got a little confusing, and it's certainly still is play, a little yeah. bit. But uh, it, the other thing, indoor gatherings still banned. Outdoor get-togethers capped at 10. Uh, so, the you know, the next thing we wait for, indoor gatherings, so we can see our families again. I think that, I believe that's in step two. I was studying I step so. one, but hopefully we can fast track in, into step two and open up more. 919 on the morning news. A Vancouver-based tech company is moving its head office to downtown Calgary at a time when vacancy rates are at a record high in the city. Russ McMeekin, the CEO of Amcloud Technology Corporation, joins us now with more on the company's decision to move to our city. Good morning to you, Russ. Good morning. Good morning. Well, let's start with Amcloud. What, what, what do you folks do at Amcloud? So we're an AI company. <clears throat> so as the Amcloud suggest we run from the cloud we are ai connected to now approximately sixty thousand energy assets around the world and simplistically we micromanage assets with ai so it's automated micromanagement with artificial intelligence fascinating well russ first of all welcome to calgary uh we know how great this city is but why really in the end did you move from you know being vancouver based to coming here to calgary so we have a nucleus of very talented people in Calgary, so we're going to move to the downtown area and expand significantly. Alberta represents a massive critical mass of customer base in the energy sector, as you know, oil and gas specifically. So we believe proximity to the end user will accelerate this, um, what does I call it, micromanagement AI technology to assets, then allow that with credibility to scale around the world. We do business, we have offices all around the world, but the nucleus and the headquarters will be Calgary. And I share your view on Calgary, so that that also helps. Awesome. Good stuff there. And, of course, um, I'm thinking that you could probably get a, a pretty good deal as well. Can you even compare, uh, put a percentage to the cost of doing business uh, here uh, versus in, in B.C.? I couldn't do the math. I'm sure it's quite material. And then if you add in that, you'll probably double the number of people. It becomes even more, the, the math gets even more material. So was that a primary decision factor? No. Is it an important decision factor? Yes, but you know, your your observation is correct. Russ, when you were doing your, your homework and looking at Alberta, were you finding that tech companies were really becoming a thing here in Alberta and were really starting to see an insurgence of, of that of that kind of growth? I was looking more at the talent, so I don't know how many tech okay. companies are, there are in Alberta, quite frankly. I was looking more at if we're going to grow the kind of people we're looking for, energy-savvy engineers that understand AI and the end user. There's probably no better academic uh, infrastructure than Alberta, and there's probably no more people than there are in Alberta. So it was more of a customer, employee, kind of talent-driven decision than looking at peers. I really didn't look that much at the peer group. Russ, it's interesting. You know, you made the right decision, by the way, but uh, we weren't the only, uh, only city on the list, and it wasn't just in our nation, was it? No. I mean, we acquired a company last summer in Australia and Perth, which has similar critical mass to energy, as you know, Western Australia uh, near Perth has a a growing, booming energy infrastructure. Singapore, where I worked for four years, we have a lot of talented people in Singapore. California, that one didn't end up on the top of the list for many reasons. Uh, And then Atlanta, we have a great capability in Atlanta. 
And uh, we could have expanded Atlanta. That has a lot of good reasons to be there. But in the end, Calgary by far was the best. And so we're very, very, very happy with the decision from all the reasons I mentioned. Plus, we've been very well welcomed by, you know, a lot of people in the community. So it's been very exciting. Fantastic. Russ, I'm sorry if I missed at the beginning. Do you say how many employees you have going in and, and opening here in, Cal- in Calgary and what you're hoping to grow to beyond? Yeah, so we have about 300 worldwide. We have just under 100 in Alberta. And as we grow, because we're a cloud company, we can centrally have people, even though the customers are global. So it wouldn't be inconceivable that in the next 24 months, we double our Alberta presence. And again, they're typically engineers, computer scientists, financial people. So, you know, high-end hires, right? Fantastic. Good stuff, and uh, yeah, we'll have to get together and you can buy us a coffee. Uh, when, <laughs> we'll tell you the ins and outs of the city, Russ, okay? <laughs> I'd be delighted to. I'd be very delighted to. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is uh, Russ McMeekin, CEO of M Cloud Technologies Corporation.